I've told a lot of people over the years when it comes to the Above and Beyond podcast that I truly don't know where these episodes are going to go. It's one of the really exciting things about taping a podcast. Sometimes in media, right, you do studio shows on television. Everything is scripted. You do radio, and, and there's a lot of it unscripted, but you've got a pretty good game plan going in. When it comes to podcasts and when it comes to this Above and Beyond podcast, there have been so many episodes over the years. Boy, howdy, producer and I that put this together. We look at each other at the end of it and say, wow, I had no idea that that is where this was going to go, where the conversation was going to lead. Nick Foles joined this podcast, episode two of season four of Above and Beyond, and his journey is so unique. It's taken him so many different places, from Michigan State to the University of Arizona to six different stops in the NFL to hoisting the Lombardi Trophy and doing so in a manner that I had never heard before as he shares that story in this episode as well. It's one full of so much purpose, full of so much transparency and vulnerability. It's one I'd really been looking forward to catching up with Nick as we have a heart for compassion in the ministry as well. But it's an episode that I never saw or would see unfold in the manner in the way in which it did. And that's only because the Lord puts it on our hearts to share his story and what he's done through Nick's life has been pretty remarkable. I called a couple of your college games way back when at the University of Arizona. I don't know if you ever remember that, but I think I was early in my broadcasting career. And man, you used to wear them big clunker knee braces. And oh, had we that. had to, man. They made us. <laughs> and you had they the sweet... Us. You had a sweet do with the hair flowing out of the back yep. of the helmet. So I knew you in college, but I didn't know you in your home in Texas growing up. So take me back to your to your early days, if you wouldn't mind. Tell me about the home you grew up in, and I guess where your walk with the Lord really started. Yeah, I grew up, uh, when I was young, both my parents were working. My dad um, was working and still is working in the restaurant business, and my mom was working at 3M. So they were both working, and then eventually... Uh, my mom with, you know, I have two little sisters, so she was at home with us, um, which was a handful. I mean, it's, it's not easy. I mean, I'm learning as we have two kids. It's being a mother and just being there for your kids is like the most amazing thing in the world. Uh, so my dad was always working and creating restaurants and, you know, long hours. And, you know, it's not really a structured time. It's like every day, uh, you know, we go to church. Um, we went to... Riverbend Church in Austin. We went to Westlake Presbyterian Church. And quite frankly, as a kid, I just, I was so bored. I, I got so bored in church. And I, uh, you know, listening to the messages and I went through confirmation, all those different things. I, obviously, knowing who Jesus is, knowing who God is, uh, whole, understanding the Bible studies, having those relationships. It wasn't, like I said, I was a Christian in high school, but it wasn't, and we'll get into it, it wasn't until life experiences happened to where I really gave my life fully to Christ. Mm. Um, and it was through those that God, I literally submitted. It was like, God, I, I need you. I need you, Jesus. Um, but, you know, my parents were amazing. They gave me an opportunity to play sports and extracurricular activities. My my dad didn't graduate high school, um, grew up in Mississippi, uh, just had a crazy journey himself. Uh, my mom uh, put herself through the University of Texas and, you know, three years by working multiple jobs. Uh, did, her mom had passed away when she was 11 and had a really tough home life as well. Wow. So both my parents, you know, came together to give their children an opportunity to succeed. And 
I just never took that for granted when I stepped on the playing field. I mean, I love sports from the day I was born. Um, it, you know, my mom was a really great athlete. My dad's a great athlete. And I think it just, I just love being out there, love playing. And I knew from a young age that they gave me that opportunity and I wasn't going to waste it. So uh, it really had my focus aligned on just being a successful athlete and, you know, whatever it took. And uh, I'm super grateful for the opportunity they gave me to go out there and play sports, but also to understand their story and understand how blessed I was to, you know, be able to go out there to those extra practices, to go to the field, to, you know, throw with my dad. Um, not every kid has that, but my dad made sure he was there. My mom made sure that they were there. And uh, I'm super grateful for that. And growing up in Texas, sport was a pretty big deal. Yeah, I mean, sports in Texas are huge. Uh, I mean, I, I played everything you could think of. I, I'm still, you know, 32 years old and I love activities. Right now, you know, when I get a chance, it's going to play pickleball, you know, at least once a week singles, getting out there and just going for a couple hours in the heat of the day uh, amidst all the training throughout the days. Um, but when I was a kid, it was, you know, baseball, basketball, football, soccer, karate, golf, tennis, anything I could do, I did. And it helped me develop my skill set for football. And, you know, but I was a big basketball player, but I was always doing something. And, you know, to this day, uh, people sort of, I say family members, something about me that people don't understand and they probably would never understand is like, I don't like watching sports that much. I would rather play them. And even as a kid, my dad, uh, who would be watching sports, he'd be like, hey, you need to come watch this so you can learn from the best. I'm like, no, I'm going outside. I'm actually going to go shoot hoops. I'm going to go throw the football. I'm going to go throw a tennis ball against the wall. And he's like, no, you need to watch this. And I'm like, no, I, I really just, I couldn't like sit there and watch sports. I wanted to go do it. Even going to a high school game at Westlake, I had to be like running around the stadium, throwing the football. University of Texas games, my favorite time. Uh, of the game would be halftime because I knew I got that that time to go throw the football with my dad in the side area of the stadium and that's all I wanted to do was watch I, I was in person so I watched the game and I was with my dad but my favorite part was going to throw at halftime and as an adult I'm still the same way I'd much rather be doing it but if I'm with a if it's a special sporting event or like I'm with my dad or father-in-law or brother-in-law is like i'll sit down and watch a sporting event and be just fine i'll add a little to that because i did one of your games arizona and i remember sitting with a group of the players coach stoops fed us a nice little lunch and we're sitting there and i asked some of your receivers i said who is the best hooper on the team right and usually as you know all football guys like to say oh, i'm the best i'm the best hooper i'm the best you know they all love to point and as a group it was it was consensus they're like oh by far nick yeah Foles is nasty, nasty. He can dunk. He can do all this. And I'm like, that dude with the big old knee braces, that pocket passer back there is the bet. You're telling me he's the best hooper on the team. So, you know, your love of sport and your love to play and your love of basketball, even in college when you're playing football was certainly apparent to your teammates as well, huh? Yeah, it was, uh, it was honestly a way I bonded with all the guys. I went to, cause I went to Michigan state, my freshman year transferred to Arizona and I went to we just played some pickup ball after workouts one day and we had this uh, amazing receiver, uh, Jerron Kreiner. And Jerron was just outstanding. But he was also, I believe, offered by the University of Arizona to play basketball. Wow. And we didn't really know each other that much because we had both just gotten there. And he was guarding me. And this dude's like amazing athlete, amazing basketball player. And he's guarding me and he's looking at me and he's like, all right, I'm going to take this guy to lunch. But at the end of the day, 
there was mad respect between both of us to where we went on to have a great career together at the University of Arizona. So a lot of the bonding with the football team was on the basketball court after workouts because we had a really good group Hmm. of guys that could play basketball. You know, Trevin Wade, David Douglas, you know, Gronk would come out there. Um, but there was a lot of guys that were really good at basketball and there's a lot of guys that thought they were really good at basketball. Um, so it was yes. a lot of fun. So we, it was great for bonding. So it was a home of a lot of play, right? You, you love to play. You said your parents were both really supportive in that way. Uh, you talk about going to church. This is above and beyond the intersection of faith and sport. So was faith an element in sport? Nick, I'm in an age now where my kids are 18, 16, almost 16 as we're recording this, and 11. Play and sports been a big part of our life. But putting that faith, understanding whom you're playing for, right? That audience of one that, you know, when you give your life to Christ, that you really realize, man, this is a gift and a platform I've been given. Was there any of that perspective at a young age through high school into college? You know what there was, um, but the perspective, like I, like I shared before, like going to church, like I wasn't diving into the scripture. I was saying I was a Christian. I was trying to live uh, a good life and do good things, which isn't what we're, we're called to believe in Christ and realize that we're all fallen. And I, I was definitely fallen now as I was in high school. Um, but I do remember. So my mom was raised by her basically a step-grandfather his name um, was George Haney and uh, he was uh, he passed away when I was in kindergarten and was one of the most impactful men in my entire life and he passed away when I was in kindergarten so think about that he made it he made sure every single day he would come by and see me and spend time with me and be with me and pray with me and he was a Christian he brought my mom to Christ um, when she was younger and I received, he served in the Air Force. I received his flag at his funeral. Um, I received his Bible. I still have it. I have it hidden away. Um, I don't want to mess with it. I just love having it. So whenever I was growing up, I always knew that Grandpa George was in heaven. And even in my high school days, like whenever I'd speak in a game, like I'd be speaking to the Lord, but I'd be speaking to Grandpa George. And I would just be, I just wanted to, I knew he was watching and I wanted not only to glorify God, but I wanted to, you know, show him, um, you know, what I had become. But it wasn't, once again, that when I went to college, there was many, there were several events that happened my freshman year um, that eventually led me to basically on my knees and giving my heart and my life to Christ. So as you can see, I'm sure a lot of people, a lot of high schoolers are listening to this and like, man, that sounds a lot like me. Um, but it wasn't until God allowed things to happen to me and broke me down of my flesh. To, then I realized like, wow, I am falling. I need a savior in Jesus. Was that in Michigan where that brokenness came? And honestly, I, I look back at it as like the reason I went to East Lansing was for that moment. The reason God led me, I was committed to Arizona State my senior year of football. I played 12 of my senior year football games with a three-fourths torn labor in my right shoulder, which I've had a doctor say it's not possible. I'm like, well, it hurt. It hurt really, really, really bad. And throughout games, it would go completely dead. And on every day after the game, I had to get it worked on. To, the muscles around my shoulder allowed me to throw sidearm and finish my senior year. And we lost in the state championship game. Um, but it was still an amazing year with the seniors and the young underclassmen. And it was really special. So I was committed to Arizona State. They had a new coach. Coach Cutter had been fired. Erickson came in. I wasn't his guy. I eventually just didn't sign my letter of intent. 
And I ended up going to Michigan State under Coach D'Antonio. And when I went there, uh, you know, my shoulder had been repaired, but I was still doing rehab. I'm in Michigan. I'm a Texas boy. First month there, both my grandmothers passed away. Um, and, you know, amongst other things that had happened personally in my life. So I'm just sitting there like alone, waking up at 5 a.m., not going to sleep till 11 p.m. because of study hall. And I, I just remember a moment in a parking garage. I was just sitting there and I broke down crying and said, God, I don't know why you've allowed all this to happen, but I do know that I can't go through life without you. And I don't even, I can't even stand on my own two feet right now. I give you my life and I trust you, uh, whatever that is. And my mom had packed this little Bible, um, which is actually right here in my desk. Is You guys can't see it, but it's right here. I keep it right here. And that was the first Bible I started to read. And I started reading the Psalms and the Proverbs and tried to read some of the Old Testament, was struggling. But it was amazing that from that moment on, uh, along my college career, God put people in my life to help me grow in my faith. And I still made mistakes. I still lived in sin. And I still went through that journey of like one foot in, one foot out. Um, but God was taking a hold of my heart and I was super grateful. But eventually I left um, East Lansing. My dad actually gave did something really special that I'm so happy he did. My, my first semester there, I wanted to leave. And I, I said, I can't do this. And he's like, I'm not going to allow you to. You're going to endure the spring. And if you really believe that at the end of the spring, I'll let you do that. But no, if you do decide to leave, this might be the last time you ever play football because another school might not take a chance on you. And at the end of the spring, there was a spring practice and my dad was at it. And it just, my heart wasn't in the right place. I was struggling, going to school, everything. I was just having a really tough time. And if my dad was not at that practice, I would have walked off the field and quit football. And I was, I don't know what happened if I threw a pick or whatever, but I was walking off the field and I was just going to throw my helmet down and just say, I can't do this anymore. Because football has always been a love-hate. But I remember I was walking off and I looked at my dad and I saw him. And those flashbacks of all the, like him giving me all those opportunities and being there to nurture me and push me, not always like say, always like lifting me up, but he, he kept it real with me allowed me to finish that practice and ultimately make the decision to leave and keep pursuing football. And I'll never forget that moment because that was a defining moment in my life where I, I wanted to give up. But one, God wouldn't let me. And two, I was grateful that my dad was there so I could look him in the eyes and I couldn't give up. And then I eventually went and I walked on at Arizona. They didn't have a scholarship when I went there. So I had to walk on the first semester. But, you know, Coach Stoops came up to me the first or second practice of training camp and was like, we're going to find a way to get you a scholarship in the spring. So it's pretty wild. How did that door open? You said throughout college, you know, and that's very similar to my testimony, Nick. Uh, you know, when I came to the Lord in junior high, it was my youth pastor, Scott Sears. When I got to the University of Washington, Chaplain Mike Rohrbach, uh, Athletes in Action Director Mike Gunn, just men that poured into me, continue to pour into me. Everywhere I went in the NFL, Carl Payne, chaplain in Seattle, Eric Simpson, chaplain in Indianapolis, teammates like John Kitna and Todd Peterson and guys that you know, like very, that, that is a, a very similar testimony to, to really, you know, my life that God put people in my life guardrails to say, no, no, stay on this path, man, stay on the narrow, right? Get your life yeah. right. You know, have a solid marriage. So what, what was it that um, led you from East Lansing to walk on in Arizona. And when you say there were people in your life, especially there in your walk through college, 
who were they and how were they impactful? Yeah, I mean, going back to when I so I de- I left Michigan State, I went home and I had a little bit of time uh, at home just to be free of football and be free of all that. And, you know, this story's probably never been told, um, not even in our in the book we wrote. But another moment that I'll never forget was I was out with my friends. Uh, we were karaoke with some, you know, people we went to high school with and uh, my dad had called me and he was in San Antonio at a re- one of his restaurants. He was working. And that's an hour and a half drive from Austin. And he was like, what are you doing? And I'm like, well, I'm at karaoke. He's like, man, I know you aren't doing anything good. You get your butt home. And I'm like, no, we're fine, dad. He's like, nah, you get your butt home. And I'm like, all right, all right. And he's like, I'm coming home right now. And I'm like, dad, you're in San Antonio. There's no way. So being a young, you know, what, 18, 19 year old kid, I get with my buddies that are there and I'm like, hey, he said he's coming home. So we got about an hour and then we got to bounce just in case. I don't think he's going to come home. But sure enough, we get home, pull into the driveway and, you know, we're safe and all that. But then all of a sudden my dad's just speeding up the street. My buddies dive in the bushes because they didn't want to mess with my dad at that time. And I was like, oh my gosh. Cause I, listen, I just left college. I left Michigan State. I left a scholarship and I was out, you know, having, you know, part, I wasn't training. I was just sort of taking a moment. And I just was, I thought my dad was going to rip me one. And I was scared. I was scared. And I walked inside and my dad came in and he just came over and hugged me and had tears in his eyes. And he was just, I just want to make sure you're okay. And basically just said, and you're loved. And it wasn't what I expected at that time because, I mean, I probably would have ripped my own butt at that time, too, for acting a fool. But that really settled me down and just, uh, you know, I, I started hunkering back down and refocusing. And I think what was tough for me was that was when Facebook was big, getting big. And I remember my freshman year, I'm in Michigan and seeing all my friends back home having an amazing time in college while I'm waking up at 5 a.m. in Michigan, freezing my butt off. I remember biking to class, you know, slipping on some ice under a tree, just like, what am I doing? But it was for a purpose. And God called me in Michigan to believe in his son. And then my dad, my father showed me a loving, disciplined grace at that time, which then redirected me. I wanted to stay in the state of Texas, but no one offered me. No one wanted me. There was a school that said I was too big of a quarterback. Another school said I was too this, too that. I, I even was going to walk on. No one wanted me. And Arizona had Sonny Dykes, who had recruited me when he was at Texas Tech. And he's like, hey, we don't have a scholarship, but we love Nick. I remember recruiting him when I was at Texas Tech. If he is who he is, he'll earn a scholarship. So I eventually went to the University of Arizona, where um, the person there that had a major impact on me was Corey Edmond, our strength coach, who's now at the University of Kentucky. And um, his wife, Miss Lo- Miss Ed, Miss Lori Edmond, was my. Uh, she led our study hall, and there was one day she invited me to Bible study on Thursday at their house, and I went there, and it was the first real example of a, a godly man that was ferocious. Like Coach Ed was just like never backed down, but he was so intense. He got the best out of you. You were intimidated by him, but he never swore, and he always lived the glorified God. And the guy knows his scripture, and he taught us every Thursday at his house. And that was my purpose for going to the University of Arizona. And my, also my wife went to the University of Arizona and played volleyball. But that relationship didn't happen until after we even left college. But mm. um, it's really amazing that we ended up that I ended up there at that time and had to go through the, you know, sitting out, running scout team, earning a scholarship, uh, adjusting to Tucson. And it eventually became my home. And 
you know, I'm an Arizona Wildcat through and through. I'm going to guess for a purpose is probably going to resonate here in the minutes ahead <laughs> as we walk through your journey of what the Lord is doing um, with with this gift of football and with this platform for a purpose. So for a purpose, you finish up at Arizona and you get drafted into the third round by the Philadelphia Eagles. What was the purpose, your first go around in Philadelphia? What did God have for you in that first foray as an Eagle? So at that point, I had really only shared my testimony once, and it was at the University of Arizona at some event uh, in the stadium. And it was, I was not well-versed as a speaker. I was very nervous. Um, it was the first time I really shared what was in my heart. And then I go to the to Philadelphia, and I'm drafted there. And that's a long story in itself, but it's amazing that I ended up in Philadelphia. And the purpose for the first go-around honestly was to go through the trials of my rookie year and then go through the trials of my second year. And then um, it was, once again, the story of mine is always love, hate with football. There's things I love about football and there's things I dislike about football, which I'm sure every football player feels the same way. I've just been more probably vocal about it at times. Um, But my second year in the league, right before the Oakland Raiders game, I sat in my locker. I just come off a concussion. Uh, I'm sitting there and I just didn't know my purpose. I didn't know if I should still be playing football or should go do something else. And I really was struggling. I just said, God, like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't know if I'm supposed to be playing. This is before the game. And uh, you're worried about coming off a concussion. It's a crazy season. You know, Michael Vick had been hurt. I think Mac Bartley, Mac Barkley got banged up. Different things happened. Then I'm playing again. And sure enough, I go out there in less than three quarters, throw seven touchdowns. And I'm obviously pulled out of the game. We're winning by a lot. And I remember I sat in my locker after the game. And it was just like, well, I guess I need to continue to play football. And, you know, we kept going. I kept stepping on faith. Jason Avant and Ted Winsley were huge and just continued to pour into me. Jason and I would meet early in the mornings and go through the book of John. He would teach a chapter. I would. He would then want me to teach another chapter. So, like, I was diving into all these study notes because I, I knew Jason knew the word way more than I did. And I'm like, oh, my God, I was so scared to teach it. But it allowed me to start teaching the word. And then uh, Jason was, I think, released or he was not with the team the next year. And that that hit me hard because Jason Avant was my rock. Like, that was my slot receiver. He was a guy that I leaned on. He was a guy that no matter what during the game, I knew I had Jason right there as a brother in Christ, as a teammate, and he was gone. But I remember when he walked out of the doors, he's like, now it's your time to lead. It's your time to lead the study. And then going into my third year, where I was a full-time starter in Philly in training camp, you know, I, I started leading a Bible study for the first time. I started getting the guys together. I started being a part of it. I started working with Ted Winsley to get, you know, guys to come and just hear the word and hear him pre- preach and teach. And it allowed me to be more bold. And then eventually I'm trade. I get injured. I fracture my collarbone against the Houston Texans, and I'm traded away to St. Louis um, after that season, which I did not expect. But it was right after we went to the PAO conference, and I'm, you know, strong. My my collarbone's healed. Uh, you know, my my faith in Christ. Like I just spent so much time worshiping and in the Word, and then all of a sudden I'm at the gym. I just finished playing some basketball and lifting, and I remember sitting on like the leg press machine or something, and I get the call from Chip. And he had traded me away. Wow. And you go to the Rams. 
So you go from Chip you go Kelly, Rams. you go from the Eagles, and the purpose is you look back now a little bit in that rearview mirror, right? It's hard to do in the windshield, and when you're on the leg press machine, you're thinking, oh my gosh, what now? <laughs> what is going to be this next step? But as you can now look in the rearview mirror a little bit, your journey to St. Louis was for what? It was to go through several trials that were not easy, and there was not a lot of great football times there. Um, and I was bent basically twice, you know, dealing with so many different things, but continue to lean on the Lord and put one step in front of the other and do the best I could to glorify him through all the emotions that were in my heart that I was struggling with. And, you know, Mike Hansen, who was our chaplain at the time, we would meet in the mornings and I would just share because I knew that there was so much going on in my heart that I needed to deal with. And it became a huge struggle. And that year in St. Louis, there was, it was a, it ended up being a dark place to where I wanted to step away from the game. But that was the purpose. I needed to go through that trial. My our my our heavenly Father wanted me to be dis, lovingly disciplined through that. He wanted to teach me something, and I had to endure it. I had to go through it. And I, he started shifting my identity from you know fleshly things and football. Um, to more so in him, which will always be the battle of our life is we're yeah. part flesh, part spirit. And uh, it was to go through that trial. And that then sets you up for a step into Kansas City, if I'm reading my notes right. From Philadelphia right. to begin to St. Louis with a tough time and not a lot of winning on the football field. And then the next step along the journey is just a, a little bit what west to Kansas City? Yep. I go, well... I originally, you know, that off season, um, there was a lot of things that were happening behind the scenes, whether it was they were working on a trade with me, they wanted me to go through hard knocks and then eventually release me at the end of the, you know, hard knocks. I didn't want to be a part of that. And so we negotiated my release from St. Louis and they put the release on hard knocks, our phone call. But people don't realize like when I was released, man, I had negotiated that release and I wanted to be released. And I was driving through the valley of Laguna Beach and I just just gotten my wife and I only had one car between us at the time. I just got this Ford C Max. If any, y'all probably don't even know what that is, but I loved it. It was just a little hybrid car. I just want some small, unassuming 40 miles to gallon, which I got a big truck right now that I'm not as responsible. <laughs> yes. But I just remember getting that call and the, the weight of the world was just off my shoulders. Like I had, I was released from football. I can make a decision and I could just sit there in peace. And then um, eventually, uh, I forget the timeline, but went on a camping trip with my brother-in-law, no cell phone reception. I had been talking with Andy Reid a little bit, thanked him for everything, and just said, I, I'm no longer playing football. I'm just going to take a moment. Went on this camping trip for three days, fly fishing. I probably only caught two fish fishing for like 27 total hours, but I had a blast uh, in the 100-degree dry heat, and uh, my brother-in-law is a much better fly fisherman, but I loved it because you're always doing something, and uh once we got back to cell phone reception, I had a lot of missed calls and a lot of text messages. I think six teams had called my agent wanted me to go there and ended up talking to my wife and uh, sitting there. And I once again prayed to God, like, God, I do not know what to do. Like, I'm, my heart, like, I started, like, I'm, like, crying because I, I don't know what to do. And there was sort of a soft voice on my heart that said, where will you, wherever you go, Nick, like, I'll be a part of your life. So if you retire, like, I'm, my spirit's inside you. If, if you keep playing, my mm. spirit's inside you. Don't think like you, wherever you go, I'm there. But where will you grow more? Like, where will you have to lean on me more? Well, I'd have to lean on him both places. Like, 
leaving football or going back, but it actually was going back to football because of the experiences I had recently had the last two seasons and the tough things that I had witnessed in the NFL that most fans never see sort of started breaking my heart as it pertained to football. So when I went back to play, it was for Andy Reed, who I had, uh, he drafted me. I have a great relationship with, and I just wanted to go somewhere where I had a great relationship with a coach and I could be free and just build back up my love for football. That was the whole purpose. Mm. And I had a phone call with Andy and just told him, listen, I'm telling you right now, I don't know how much I love football, but I do think there's a spark there. And I do believe that if I come play for you, it gives me the greatest opportunity to see if I still love the game. And uh, ended up signing, going halfway through training camp. First day of my, I'm in training camp, and uh, I don't even have the right shoes. I'm wearing number one. I'm wearing receiver pads. I'm not. I'm. I just feel goofy out there. But it was the fourth morning. I was reading the Bible. I was studying film, and I just started crying again. Like you're gonna hear me crying, and you know I'm vulnerable and. I realized I was actually excited for the day. I was excited to go to practice. I was excited to go in the weight room. I was excited to be with my teammates. And I hadn't felt that in a very long time. And, you know, went through the years, one of my favorite years of football, you know, with Alex Smith and Tyler Bray and, you know, that QB room and, you know, the wives got along great. It was just really great. And I played in two games, did pretty well. And, uh, you know, that was a really special year because if St. Louis was a year of like trials and going through like, tough times in darkness and finding what's, you know, breaking my heart to build back up. Kansas City was more of a year of building back up and just finding the love of football. And then, you know, meeting with Philip Kelly, the chaplain. And that's where I eventually decided to go to seminary. And that was on my heart where I never thought I would go back to school, much less go to seminary to eventually get into youth ministry. But that's what God called me to do that year in Kansas City. Wow. I mean, we're like barely halfway through <laughs> your NFL I know, I'm career. trying. I'm trying to do so much. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, and then it's back to the city of brotherly love. Yeah. yeah. How did that How did that all unfold? And why back to Philly at that point? Yeah, so I actually wanted to stay in Kansas City. I had an option on my contract, and uh, I was even going to take way less, like half of what the option was. And Going through negotiations with them, they, they made it clear that they had their eyes set on something else, which I think we know who that is now, and they made a really great decision. Plus, they signed Eric Berry to an extension, which Eric Berry is one of my favorite players I've ever played with. Unbelievable leader. Love him. Um, and then they got Pat Mahomes. And so I'm free, and it's between Philadelphia and it's between Tampa Bay, who, ironically enough, uh, the coach was Dirk Cutter, who had I had committed to at Arizona State. Yeah. And Tampa Bay was offering more money and I was sitting there and I was like, man, in Florida, no, no state income tax and it's more money. And it was a similar situation. And I remember just sitting there and I, I prayed about it and it was like, we were, we were about to have Lily, um, our first child. And I was just thinking, where will be the best place for us to raise Lily and what community? And we love Philly. We never wanted to leave Philly. Um, we were traded away and I had to deal with that because the organization that traded me away wanted me back. And now it was a different, you know, leadership at the time under chip, um, which no hard feelings, but I had to really think like, do I go back to the team that traded me? And eventually it came down to, this is what is best for my family. This is, I, I still have buddies on the team. I still, the chaplain, not saying Tampa Bay would have been the wrong decision, but we made the decision based on the community and what we experienced the first go around in Philly. And then 
we went back. We decided to sign with Philly. We found a home in Haddonfield, New Jersey. And that was the purpose of going there was to help a young quarterback in Carson um, grow because I had experienced Philly as a young player as well and had great success there while also being a father and helping raise our, uh, Tori and I's daughter, Lily. And we just wanted a great community. And that was our purpose in going there. And then ultimately, Carson gets banged up and this just door opens. And, and uh, the opportunity, I, I mean, just as you kind of lay out, and, and I'm writing notes down, right, this different journey from Michigan State to Arizona to walking on to all of these different angles, to dark times, to relationship times, and then you get to Philadelphia, as you said, to grow and mentor a great young man in Carson Wentz who gets hurt, and could you have ever written the script of what was to follow? I couldn't have. And what people don't know, once again, because I don't know if I documented it well enough, was I signed with Philly. And during OTAs, I was having trouble with my elbow. It was sore. And I never really had it. But most quarterbacks have elbow issues throughout their career. If they say they have or they haven't, they probably have. Um, and it started hurting. But then we got the month off. It started feeling better. Then we went back for the rookie mini camp. It was doing well. But I was throwing a lot of balls. And then the first day of training camp, I felt a pop. And I... Come to find out, I had a 50% tear in my common flexor tender tendon, and my my whole forearm was out of whack. And that's like your powerhouse when you throw is your forearm and your elbow area. And I couldn't even I couldn't even grip a ball because something was wrong with my nerves. And so I missed all of uh, preseason, I believe. And there was it it was tough because I had just signed there. Then you know teams like okay, when did this happen? What happened? Um, you're going through that tough. I mean, I wasn't sleeping much at night cause I was waking up early to do rehab. I was, I was going to bed late doing rehab. I was trying to get this thing as healthy as I could. And a lot of people were thinking when I was throwing, they're like, Oh, he's just getting older. His arms getting weaker, but my arm with my elbow is hurting so bad. So the season starts and what a doctor had said is this will probably bother him all year and it'll hurt very bad, but he will be able to throw. And he was right. It hurt <laughs> extremely bad. There was even one game where I was warming up and I was like, oh my gosh, Carson, do not get, like I, I was throwing it 30 yards and that's all I had. It was hurting. It was like a knife in my arm. So I started wearing a sleeve on my arm and people don't realize like my arm, my elbow was torn in the Super Bowl. Like it was torn. Now we had done PRP injections in training camp that allow healing. Um, I was starting to get treatment with Dr. Shin, who a lot of us go to in New Jersey and he does a great job helping us heal with, you know, you know, acupuncture and cryo and all the good stuff. Um, but it was almost like a thorn in my side. And every time I threw a ball, it was like, God, I, I need you to, I, I can only throw the ball if you allow me to throw the football. And then when that happened to Carson, who's having an MVP caliber year, like you, you never want to see someone get hurt. And then the guy who could win the MVP gets hurt. You're like, Oh my gosh. Cause our team was doing well. We were hitting stride. Carson had just played a great game versus the Rams. <laughs> And we finished it out and you have all those emotions and you're, I mean, it took me an hour to warm up for practice with my elbow. It had took me an hour, like getting treatment on my elbow to warm for games and after games. And I just remember going through the weeks. Nate Sudfeld was awesome um, through that time where I remember our first day in the meeting room, uh, we sat there and I don't even know if we watched film the first morning at 6am. I think we just sat there and talked through the emotions that we were going through. We had some gospel music on and we just talked through it like brothers do. And we're just like, man, I, this city's dependent on us. This team's dependent on us. This is wild. But we went to work. We we trusted our preparation. We trusted the Lord. We had verses written up. We we took the field with faith. We didn't know what his plan was, um, but ultimately ended up being in 
you know, winning the Super Bowl and being able to glorify him on the greatest stage and realizing, you know, when we got to hold that trophy that we didn't need that trophy. We were already fulfilled through Christ. And I get to share that example every single day someone asks me about it. It's like, yeah, winning the Super Bowl was amazing. It's amazing for the individuals involved. It's amazing for the city. It's awesome. But my fulfillment was in Jesus Christ. And it was through the journey that you've heard a little bit about that helped me set that foundation to where when that trophy, when I hoisted that trophy, it didn't, it didn't take over everything in my life to where mm. I became entitled and all these different things. It was like, no, I allowed you this for, you know, my glory to say, thank you, Jesus. Can you take me back to the night before the Super Bowl? Did you sleep easy that night? Did you, I mean, it was an amazing run through the playoffs um, you know, it was a special group. Uh, we all know Philly special, and I'm sure you've been asked about that a gazillion times. I want to know about the night before. You're a vulnerable dude. Even in these, <laughs> this podcast, you have shared your level of transparency and vulnerability. The night before the Super Bowl, did you believe, like, yep, tomorrow night we're going to hoist trophy, we're going to be world champs, we're going to run Philly special and I'm going to come over and talk to Doug Peterson in the heat of the moment and say, what do you think? Like, did you have any rest that night knowing that this was going to be the the script that he would write for you? Some context that's really crazy um, that sort of will answer your question. So we end the season. I play well versus the Giants. We play the Raiders. I, I didn't play well, but we led a two minute drive to win the game. I laugh at I laugh with the Philly fans because to this day I feel like we lost the game because they were so mad at me for not playing well. But it was like zero degrees outside, so give me a break. Freaking cold. <laughs> and then I played like a quarter or so against the Cowboys and threw a pick into cover two, and that was it. And so not hitting like stride going into the playoffs. And I I mean articles are being written. Foles is going to ruin it for us. We have our chance. Nixon. Whatever, whatever, whatever. Posters are all in our facility. Howie Roseman put him up just to remind us that everyone doubted us. We're number one seed, but we're the least feared team in the playoffs. And my wife and I, every night would have conversations because she's going through what I'm going through just in a different way. And she asked me, like, what do I think? She asked, what do you think will happen? I said, I just said, I believe we're going to win the Super Bowl and shock everyone. But I believe that it won't be enough for a lot of people. And I do believe that you will see after the game that it takes over and pride will set in. But I do believe we will win this. I do. And this is before we play the Falcons. And she never forgot this conversation. She reminded me of it after the Super Bowl. And she's like, how did you know? I was like, there's just something in my heart. Now, it was hard going through it. But going into the playoffs, we started hitting stride. There was many reasons why we did. Great coaching, great players. Coaching is huge in an athlete's success. And we are very blessed to, you know, I, I believe like that was at the time, like in my career right now, that was the best staff I've been on. It was just everything worked together perfectly. So I felt confident in the game plan going into the playoffs. So going to your question about the night before, the weeks leading up to the Super Bowl were the hardest weeks of football I've ever been a part of. Mm. The preparation, the practice, the attention to detail, the making sure your body's right by trying to get an extra sprints in because you're, I mean, your body's tired. Your heart's tired. Your mind's tired. You're running on adrenaline. It's the Super Bowl. There's pressure. There's all those different things. You get to Minnesota. We're practicing at the University of Minnesota. And I remember I started getting more confident. I started getting more comfortable. And then I was so tired the night before the Super Bowl because of all the preparation that I slept like an absolute baby. And I was in the Word every day. I printed out pictures of my family. Like I even have one of them right here. This was in my Bible at the Super Bowl. 
Mm. Um, I had all these pictures of my daughter, our dog, my wife, just to remind me. And I set them out on the table, so I just kept my foundation in them. I blocked out all the noise. I didn't agree to any marketing deals. There was over a million dollars worth of marketing I could have agreed to before the Super Bowl. And I said no to every single one because I was focused on the Super Bowl. I did not want to think about what headphones I wore. I didn't want to think about what trading card I was signing. I did not care at all about the money. All I wanted to do was, I remember talking to my marketing agent, um, Austin, who's a great friend. I said, I'm about to play in the Super Bowl. This is every kid's dream. I do not care right now about these marketing. They're great. They're awesome. Don't get me wrong. They're very awesome. I've worked with great companies throughout the career. I worked with great companies after the Super Bowl. But going to the game, I didn't want to think about it. I just wanted to be myself and just let all the external noises go. So that being said, when I went into the Super Bowl, I felt good. I felt confident. I felt comfortable. And even in the national anthem, that was probably the last time I was present at the Super Bowl was the national anthem. I remember looking at Tom. I remember looking at Belichick. And then I just shut it off and said, here we go. And it was our first snap where I think we started in double left, motion to the right, and ran uh, – pepper all lightning is the play and it was designed to go to alshon jeffrey just get alshon a quick completion on an eight yard stop route but they did a semi-cloud version because they wanted to try to cut it and i recognized it and i, I flipped my hips and threw a four yard completion to the right at now nelson aguilar and at that moment i was like okay i was sort of in my like subconscious mind i was just feeling the game and the rest of the game was to this day the most peaceful game i'd ever played in um, because I was allowed to be free. My coaches trusted me. Um, there was never a doubt that they trusted me. Frank Wright, Doug Peterson on the sideline were trusting me. Even when I you know, we, I threw an interception, Frank was like, man, you look great. You're looking good. And that's how I, with coaches, that's how I respond is when you trust me and let me do what I do and let me throw the ball where I feel like I need to throw it. Like the first touchdown to Alshon should not have gone to Alshon. It was not designed to go to Alshon Jeffrey. It was designed to go to the deep cross. When I threw that ball, everyone on the sidelines like, what is he doing? And then Alshon makes a big play. And it was like, because I was feeling it. I was my gut instincts because that's when I play my best. And it was because of the coaches and because of the atmosphere and I just remember walking. There was one play where I did a little flash fake and threw a back shoulder for like 30 yards to Nelson Aguilar. I remember walking to the huddle just being like, man, God, this is amazing. Like, this is so cool. I just, my prayer going in that game was no matter what, if we win or lose, I want to give it my all. I want to play without fear. Mm-hmm. And I want to glorify you if we win. And I'm going to glorify you if we lose. That is my one focus. And it simplified everything in my heart. It simplified everything in my mind. And I went out there and just played for the city of Philadelphia, for God, for my teammates. And we made plays together as a team. And that's what was so beautiful about that game. And you walked over and said, what do you think about Philly special? Yeah. And you were so calm. The mic'd up version of that, it was like, this is the Super Bowl, right? And I'm sure your boys back home and everybody's like, Nick, you just were like, it was just out on the street when you were a kid playing all those games, the karate, the golf, the basketball, the baseball, the soccer, the football, everything you did growing up. Like you just walked over like, hey, hey, Doug, what do you think about Philly special? And it was uh, my my wife and, you know, leading into the game, like everyone's trying, hey, is there a cool play coming up? Is there? And I would not tell anyone. I told my wife. I, 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 but I told her, you are not allowed to tell anyone. I will, I, mo- I will catch a touchdown this game. And she's like, wait, what? I'm like, I'm not going to tell you the play, but just watch out. If there's something that – if you see us and something looks out of whack, be ready. It's going to be awesome. And when we called it, it wasn't – that wasn't the scenario Doug and I talked about. But it's fourth and one, Super Bowl. 
we called a timeout and it was gut instinct. This is the time to do something crazy. Let's do it. And the beautiful thing about that, going back to how I work as a player, and it's not always been this way for me, is Doug trusted me. Mm-hmm. And Doug always trusted me. I Even in 2008, he trusted me. And in the biggest stage, he agreed, let's run this craziest play in Super Bowl history. And Nick wants to run it. Where, like, what coach does that? Co- not the really good coaches who trust their quarterbacks do it, but he trusted me. And so the play has a lot more meaning than just catching a touchdown. And yeah. who was a part of it? You know, Corey and, um, you know, Trey and the whole thing um, was really special. And it, it helped us. I think it gave us a little momentum at the right time. Yeah. And then the journey continues. And as we tape this podcast, we're going into 2021. Uh, The journey goes from Philadelphia to a big deal in Jacksonville where it doesn't work out. Ultimately in Chicago, where you find yourself as we tape this right now in the summer of 2021 going into training camp. And Nick, you know, I think just as and you've been around the block in all of these different spots over a decade in the league, you find yourself in a spot right now where they draft Justin Fields in the first round, right? Right about the same number Mahomes was drafted, I think, or pretty darn close to it. Um, you, they bring in Andy Dalton, solid, neat believer. And you find yourself right now sitting in a situation with two young kids as we talk and, and you prepare for a 2021 season. What is going to be the purpose ahead of you? you have you ever sat in a seat in, in quite like this going into, into a season? You know, God's presented me with one probably – a task and a trial that I've not experienced in my life. And it, it, and he's really doing a lot of work on my heart and I, in a good way, in the sense of, I've never been a three without a competition. I've never been in this situation. I'm 32 years old. I'm in, you know, the prime. And unfortunately there's been some crazy things that have happened the last couple of years that he's using to shape my heart and shape me. And I think it's allowed me to simplify things and say, all right, God, I got to get back to, you know what? I'm going to put one foot in front of the other. You've presented me with this so many blessings in my life. And that's my focus, gratitude and blessings. But there are tough times where I, you know, maybe anger creeps in. I'm trying to, you know, work through that with forgiveness and, you know, just taking one step in front of the other and say, all right, I want to glorify you with this role, this role that you've presented in a crazy way, that I can't even like, there's days I just sit here. I'm like, I, what is going on? But right now in the midst of it, I don't know what he's doing. I don't know what he's working on, but I know he's showing me all the flaws I have in my heart and in my life. And he's working on because he loves me. Uh, A loving father disciplines his child out of love, allows his child to go through trials out of love because he wants him to grow. So God obviously wants me to grow somewhere where I'm lacking um, for something probably greater than football, for outside of football, to maybe I can share with a kid someday or an adult or on this podcast right now to say it's okay to be vulnerable, it's okay to struggle. But the way I'm using that is just not, you know, submitting and surrendering to like, you know, the situation. It's I'm going to glorify God and I'm going to work hard and I'm not going to give up and I'm going to train harder. So I, I honestly, this offseason, uh, have gone back to my roots. I've, I've gone back to my high, my college lifting. I've I've really worked with our strength coach and lifting because I've always been, uh, they've always designated me a certain weight. And it's been very difficult throughout my career because I'm getting older. And I'm like, you know what? I don't care if they find me. I'm going to get stronger 
I'm going to get more durable. I'm going to get more explosive. I'm going to go back to what I did in college. I, I even had a conversation with my strength coach in college. And I said, I don't care what they do. Like, I feel strong. I'm lifting more weight. I'm, I'm, I'm adding more. Basically, like, if I get hit, which I've taken some hits the last couple of years, like, I'm going to be ready to roll. So it's been like a hunger inside of me that God has allowed me to sort of unleash, but it's for his glory. And I just got to make sure that I approach that every day by standing in his word, talking with him to make sure it doesn't overtake me because it is a very unique situation I'm in that I have not experienced in my life. But I get an opportunity to help a young quarterback in Justin Fields. I get an opportunity to help a veteran quarterback in Andy Dalton, who I, who I, I've loved being with. I get an opportunity to step into a facility um, that it was a really rough year last year for many, many reasons. Um, but I get to go in there and I get to work. I'm probably not going to get many reps. I didn't get many reps in mini camp. And I need to make sure that I just keep working. I keep preparing and I don't give up because it's ultimately about glorifying God and not myself, not, not my coaches. It's about glorifying him and impacting those I work with. And I am not perfect. I, I have so many flaws and God is showing me that, but I'm working every single day to take that step forward by leaning on his word, uh, leading on his prayer, leading on his promises, trusting, you know, going through this with my wife. We've even had crazy ordeals happen, like our house flooded when we reported to OTA. So it's under construction. Right? Like so many things have happened where we just sit here and we're just like, man, like this is wild. But we're going to keep taking those steps forward to make sure we glorify him and have him surrounding everything we do. You talked earlier about the greatest coaches are those that trust right? The gain, the, the trust and trust their, their quarterback in, in, in your case, in the position that we have played. As you said that, and I just kind of wrote that note down in many ways, that's our father as well, who just, you know, we have got to trust. And I, and as I listened to your journey here at Nick and as, and as people do that are tuning in this podcast, right? Have all of those mile markers in the rear view mirror, that mile marker in East Lansing, that walk on mile marker in Tucson, the early mile markers in Philly and the trades and the darkness in St. Louis in dark football times and the healing of the scar tissue with Andy in Kansas City. Have those mile markers and those past empowered your trust in this moment now? And if so, how much of a witness and testimony is that to someone listening? Absolutely. I just think that it's honestly been like a steady climb. He's allowed trials to happen that have knocked me on my butt to show me how weak I am. He's had, he's had restoration and then uh, leaning on him through restoration. And then once he, I probably start, there's probably pride that starts even he allows another trial to go through. And it's just been a steady climb up where it gets, honestly, like you think you learn more and you grow more, it gets easier. Mm. It gets harder and it gets, it, it, it wrecks you more. And then you have two children. So you want to be an example, like to, I want to be an example to my children, but I think the greatest example is to let them know that I am flawed, that I lean on my heavenly father and that I do struggle. But that is where my strength comes from is our heavenly father. But yes, absolutely. I have pulled from all those experience, all that wisdom that he's allowed me to have that have, are, are helping me not give up. And it's not like I'm sitting here like, oh, I can't wait till I'm a starter. I can't wait till I win another Super Bowl. It's not that. It's just I want to go enjoy the game and love the game. And be impactful within the game, whether it's the third string, second string, first string. Because right now I'm in a third string. Never been a third string in my entire life, basically. And it's a very unique role. But 
he's put me here for a reason and a purpose, and I want to be a good steward of it. That purpose is beyond football, right? You've said multiple times that platform that this has given you, right, to really do his call. Frankly, this podcast as well. And super thankful uh, for your time and your wife with the two young ones to give you this time to, to share your story here. But it's more than that. It's using this platform to bring him glory. And you're doing that through a number of places. And, and you and I have a kindred spirit with compassion. They sponsor this podcast. They have for the last four years. You and I are on the team with Fill the Stadium. Why? Why your heart for compassion? How did that door open and, and, and ultimately a heart to fill a stadium? How did that come into your heart and through this journey? I think just going back to the conversations at the uh, PAO conference that we've gone to and just knowing that how many kids there are in the world that don't, I mean, I have two children and I, I want to get into youth ministry and just knowing that there's children that don't have the means, they don't have food, they don't have supplies, they don't have clothing. And that is what compassion wants to do. And, you know, the fill the stadium, how it came to be is like, that's what is needed right now. And obviously more is needed, but that is what the focus is right now. So being able to be a part of what compassion is doing, whether it's giving or whether it's using the platform to create awareness, everyone can join and sponsor a child. And, um, you know, we, my wife and I, uh, whether it's giving or sponsoring, we want to sponsor two children that are near our children's ages so that they can grow up knowing that there's these kids that you can write to and that they're, this is what they're going through. And just realizing that we are blessed where we are, but use what we have to help others. And, it's, it's a great thing compassion is doing. I, I hope everyone out there sponsors a child if they have the means to because um, they need it. And what they're doing, what you're doing with your podcast, uh, creating awareness for that is so special. And that's what we're called here to do is to help our neighbor, to help those in need, to help the orphans, to help the widows, to help everyone. Um, and God's allowed us a platform to do so. You know what I'm looking forward to? I'm looking forward to you and me and our families going out because you haven't gotten a chance to do that yet, right? With compassion, have you been able, you haven't gotten out of the country and some of it's your job and in the ministry of football and, and the demands of it, your two young children, but I can't wait till you get to go out and into these communities. And you want to talk about trust, right? That, that's been another big word through this, uh, through this podcast. When you get to see the trust that, uh, that those compassion facilities have built in those communities, Nick, it's going to blow you away. Kind of like Doug Peterson, trusting you on Philly Special, mm -hmm. right? It is going to yeah. blow you away. The love and the trust that they've developed in those communities as they've served them, serve them and serve him. And uh, so appreciative of that. So I'll look forward to that day because I think that day's coming too. I do too. Thank you, Brock. I can't wait. And you're going to get to see my love for activities in full force with those kids. They're going to wear <laughs> me out, but I can't yes. wait just to play and just hang with them and just uh, let my kids run around and, you know, be there with them. Um, I, I can't wait. We'll be praying for you this season, Nick. Sure. Appreciate your heart. Give some love to your wife and your kids and uh, we'll be watching. It's a new role for you in Chicago. Can't wait. The Lord's used you in all these spots. He's going to continue to use you. Uh, thanks, brother. Thanks, Brock. Above and Beyond, the intersection of faith and sports. Subscribe to receive every episode at aboveandbeyondpodcast.com.